The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. All right, well, good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. For those of you that don't know, I am not Pastor Chris, but uh, Pastor Chris is uh, on a well-deserved vacation with his wife. Amen? Yeah. Uh, That's right. And uh, they are visiting with uh, their daughter Lydia out in Los Angeles. If uh, you want to keep up with that, you can uh, look at uh, Chris Rollins on Facebook. Uh, He's been posting pictures and stories uh, throughout the week of the things they've been doing, and uh, they've been having a, a great time there. And so uh, we uh, welcome uh, giving them the opportunity to, to get away and escape for a little bit. I'm sure it's uh, much appreciated on their part. My name is Galen Moyer. Uh, my wife, Perry, is uh, right over here, wife of 28 years. Wonderful woman. That one's worth uh, praise if she put up with me for, for 28 years. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, nowadays it's amazing whenever you tell somebody you've been married 28 years, they go, <gasps> you know, it's just, uh, but uh, we've been blessed to, to have each other. And we have two beautiful daughters. Uh, they are uh, both in their 20s and they are both married. And uh, we're blessed to have Hannah and Julia, Hannah and Tanner and Julia and Brian. And um, I uh, have been a, a pastor for about 15 years in the past. And uh, for the last about seven years, uh, now I've been doing hospice work. I work as a hospice chaplain. And uh, so uh, it is our honor to, uh, to be a part of Coastal. We've been here for about a year and a half. And one of the things that we, uh, we love about uh, Coastal and we love about Pastor Chris is that Pastor Chris loves you. It, it's evident, isn't it? You know, uh, evident that he loves his congregation and we love that. We love the, the way you love each other also. One of the things that we value very much is relationship and we have really enjoyed just getting to know people here and having people who genuinely want, uh, want to have a relationship first with God, but then uh, with each other. And so it has been a real, a real joy to be here and to be a part of getting to know you. And we, uh, we look forward to getting to know the ones of you that we don't know. Uh, and so we thank you for welcoming us to be a part of this church. We're going to continue this morning in our series on the power of words. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, we thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. God, we thank you that you have chosen us to be here in this place today for your purpose. God, we thank you that your word promises that you are among us and already this morning we have felt your presence here. God, we thank you that even more than just the fact that you're present in this place, you've chosen to come and live inside of us. What an incredible thought. God, we thank you for the power of the Spirit of God that has chosen to come and be inside of us, to empower us to live a life that we couldn't live otherwise. A new life with a new heart given by you. So God, I pray that now one of the roles your Holy Spirit does is teaches us. And so God, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning, that I would simply be your tool to communicate your words. Open our hearts to hear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this. Pastor Chris threw out a challenge a couple weeks ago. 
<laughs> yeah, day two. Woo. Uh, all right, so if you don't know what the challenge was, he threw out a no cursing challenge, a 30-day no, no cursing challenge. And that challenge works such that if you mess up, you have to start over again. So we got somebody on day two. Somebody won't even admit where he's at. Um, <laughs> day two. Uh, anybody on day 14? No, no. <laughs> Any, anybody? No, nobody wants to admit they're on day 14. Well, hey, I'm, I'm with you in that boat. Uh, I thought I was going to be able to say I was on day two, but then yesterday came around. <laughs> and it's the dog's fault. So, uh, 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 but anyway, I, in, in regards to that, I, I look back at my life, and my life, I grew up in a home where uh, cursing was not at all a part of it, and even the slang words you weren't allowed to use. But uh, like many of us in later years, I, uh, my college years particularly, I picked up some of those words, and they became a part of my life. I remember one particular night when I was out bowling with some friends of mine, and there was a gentleman, a friend of mine, who was a little bit older than me, a year or two, and he's a little mature in his faith. And he called me out as I, I threw, I don't know, I, I don't know, it must have been a really bad ball, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but anyway, the words were bad. Uh, and he called me out on that. And it suddenly raised my awareness to it, and it was like, oh, you're right, I shouldn't use those words. And it literally changed the trajectory of my speech for years to come. And it just wasn't a part of my life for many, many years. Now, I realize that for some reason, over the last number of years, I let down my guard again and, and started to allow those words into my life again. So Pastor Chris's challenge two weeks ago was good and direct for me because it spoke to me and it's kind of raised my awareness again so that I can kind of set a new trajectory again. I believe God works that way sometimes. You know, sometimes we come and we, oh, many of you, you've heard a lot of sermons, but you probably can't remember much of it. But I hope you can remember points in your life where God spoke to you during those times and they changed the trajectory of your life. And so that's my prayer for that challenge that Pastor Chris threw out. That's my challenge for you this morning as we talk about gratitude. I hope that God will speak to your heart. Some of you will say, well, you know, hey, I'm just a grateful person by nature, no big deal. But some of you are going to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I really need God to, to speak to my heart. Or maybe, maybe it'll catch you totally off guard as you come along. The Holy Spirit will just speak to you and minister to you, and, and you'll go away from here with a, with a new challenge. And I, I pray that this morning that's the way it will be. As I look at our lives and I look at our culture, I see that we are a culture that is consumed with living the good life. You've, you've heard all the titles, Your Best Life Now. The life you've always wanted, you first. Journal your way to your best life. Let me ask you this. Maybe you hadn't thought about it this way. But what would be better? Would it be better to have that life, that best life, or that next step life, or that goal in your mind, the way you envision it? Would it be better to have that life? Or would it be better to have this life and be content with it? Which one would be best? Which one would be easiest to achieve? How do you know that if you achieve that life that you're dreaming of, thinking of, how do you know that when you got there, you'd actually be content with it? It might seem just as bad as the one you had before. So wouldn't the desire and the goal be to have a content life? 
You know, it amazes me in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. I have heard this so many times, and I see this so many times in Scripture, where the Apostle Paul says this, For I have learned in whatever situation I'm in, therein to be content. And, you know, it is ingrained in my mind because that's not even how I have it written down here. There's different versions. In this version it says, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, he shows how he does it. It is through the power of Christ, but we have Christ in us, and are we content? Do we live a content life? Are you content with the life that you have now? Are you able to live in some kind of sense of contentment on a daily basis? I'm amazed because... There are many aspects of my life I could say I'm content with, but there are many times I'm not content as well. You know, we talk about a lot in church about the gospel, or we talk about good news. You know, the word gospel means good news. But yet, unfortunately, I don't think we too often experience our faith walk and our experience with God as being good news. But let me ask you, if you had a content life today, if you were content tomorrow, And you knew you could go into next week being content. You knew this next year would just be full of contentment and the peace of God. Wouldn't that be good news? That would be good news to know that you could have that kind of life of of contentment. And that is the kind of life that God wants to give us. He wants to give us that life of contentment. Pastor Chris talked a couple weeks ago, about one of the goals in this series is for us to recognize that we are here to bring glory to God and to honor Him. Another way of saying that, sometimes the church says it, is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So with this in mind, the obvious question then is how do we glorify God with our words? Now we talked about in that other series, that other sermon he did, how to take away some words so that we'd glorify God. Today we want to talk about how to add some words, some things we can include in our life that'll glorify God. So number one on your outline says this, gratitude begins in the heart. You see, gratitude is not primarily a words issue. It's a heart issue. And we are in a battle for our hearts. Luke 6, verse 45, says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. And whatever comes out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart. So when I got angry at the dog yesterday, it's really a reflection of my heart, isn't it? It's not just simple words. I mean, the words, they're only verbalization. But what's significant is they reflect my heart. So we need to look at our heart and we look at our words and say, what do our words tell us about our heart? What do you overflow with? What are you passionate about? When you talk to people, what are the things that just most naturally come out of you? Is it sports? Dabber, I saw you the other night on TV. <laughs> I saw Tabber down at, down at the glass and the raised score. Woo! I mean, he, he's down there doing the happy dance. Uh, uh, 
And if you're around Tabor too long, you'll find out that the rays, it, it, comes, it comes out. He's a, he's a fan. Is it politics that comes out of you? Is it your children? Your work? Your entertainment? Or is it complaints? Is it criticism? Or is it gratitude? Are we equally as passionate about God and what he's done for us and experiencing that and sharing that, that it flows out of us naturally in the same way all of these other things we're passionate about flow out of our life? And then the next question becomes, if our words flow from the overflow of our heart, then what or who is determining and shaping what is in our heart? I saw a, a cartoon this week on Facebook. Maybe some of you saw it. it. They tend to go around the same circles. But it was a picture of a young kid, the TV on this side and the dad on this side, and the dad's pulling on the arm and the TV's trying to suck the kid in over here. Doesn't that pretty much represent our world? Not, not just our kids, but all of us. All of us are constantly being drawn by our culture and pulled by our culture and influenced by our culture and the media. Do you know that in 2015, 600 billion, with a B, dollars were spent on advertising worldwide? That does not even include all the movies that were made, television shows that were produced, video games, social media. Think about the amount of money that is spent intentionally trying to influence us and shape our heart. Oh, now some of it's just to buy a simple product, but all of it is made to create discontent, isn't it? It's always to make us discontent with what we have so that we'll feel like we need something that they're promoting. So how do we balance this out with a standard of truth that goes beyond all of these things that try to create discontent? How do we balance it out in a way that creates a contentment that comes strictly by the standard of the Word of God? You know, some of us have known the Scriptures from childhood. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church all my life. Never strayed away from that. I've had more Scripture and more Bible and more sermons that one mind can contain. But I think some of us, sometimes when we've had that influence, sometimes we think we're above being influenced by the world. And we have to guard our hearts and make sure. If you're one of those, don't just think, oh, I can watch anything I want. I can listen to anything I want. I can do anything I want. And it won't change me because I'm solid. I've got a strong foundation. Maybe you do, but what are you building on that foundation? You know, I realized when I was in college and seminary, I remember at times where I would have a professor who felt very differently than I did on some theological issues. And I remember that they would be pounding away on those issues and I would go away so confused and so angry about those things. And I was like, no, I don't agree, I don't agree, I don't agree. And then suddenly I'd find myself repeating them to somebody else. Because if you hear something enough, it changes, it becomes a part of you and it starts to flow out of you. So we've got to make sure that we're fighting that battle for our heart and recognizing that it is a battle. Now, I know some of you are saying, I, I didn't have that advantage. I, you know, I didn't grow up with those things. I don't even have that foundation. I'm just getting started. The good news is, God gives you a new heart. 
a new chance to start over. And you can fill that heart and let God shape that heart and let the Holy Spirit fill you and lead you into the things of God. But we have to recognize that we're in that battle and not just let it lead the way without us realizing what it is. You see, that battle is a battle for our mind that says that you are the master of your own destiny. That you determine what truth is. That you should have what you want. That you should have the life you always dreamed of, your best life now. And you notice at the center of every one of those is you or me. That, but that's what our culture tells us. We struggle to fight that. Everything tells us that we are entitled to that life and that perspective. Now, I know you millennials get this rap a lot of being entitled. But I wanted to throw that word out there because maybe you are entitled or you feel entitled. But if you do, I want to apologize as one of the generation that fed that to you and helped to create that. But I want to say that no matter where we are in life, we are responsible for choosing the things of God and aligning our life with his word. No matter whether you're one that had that foundation of scripture, no foundation of scripture, you grew up in an entitled generation. And I think that all of us feel entitled as Americans. We have so much that we don't even know how to not feel entitled. We have an incredible experience like this on Sunday morning and we expect to come in here. We feel entitled to come in here and the worship band perform in such a way that it just naturally moves us and draws us into God's presence. We feel entitled to come here on a Sunday morning and hear a good message from Pastor Chris. And then you find out he's not here. <laughs> it blows the whole day for you. God has continually been about a message of establishing a people from Genesis to Revelation. He has been about establishing a people who will glorify and honor him. And it's always about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. The center of the gospel is about bringing glory and honor to God. And establishing a people who will praise him and worship him and magnify him with their words and with their lives. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he starts it out with these words. It's not about you. If, if, if we could just hold on to that in our generation, in our day, it would help to correct our course somewhat. Because it's not about you. You are here today to glorify and honor God with your life. Jesus communicates this so clearly in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. And in this passage, he says this. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. If you just absorb that part, and if you just take that message with you into the marketplace, into your world today, that message itself will draw a little flack, won't it? 
But he goes on and he says this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. That's the message that Jesus boils it down to. It doesn't talk about us. It says love others as you love yourself, implied that we already love ourselves. But focus on loving God and focus on loving others. You see, living a life that expresses gratitude is a declaration that I am not supreme. That the world does not revolve around me. That God matters in this modern world and that others matter in my life. Now, there's a story we want to look at this morning that illustrates this. It's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And this is a story that many of you are familiar with. It's a story where Jesus heals 10 lepers. And in this story, Jesus and his disciples, they're in northern Israel, and they're traveling to southern Israel on foot. And in between there is a place called Samaria. You might know the story of the Good Samaritan. And if there's a Good Samaritan, it means by implication, that others at least are perceived as not being good. And for the Jews, they perceived the Samaritans as not good. They didn't like them because in their mind, they were half-breeds. In their mind, they worshiped in the wrong place and in the wrong way. And they didn't fit the criteria that they established for being a good people. And they avoided, they would go out of their way to walk around Samaria, even if it took them a lot longer to do it. So Jesus here literally is breaking the protocol of the common day by just going into this place. And it says, as Jesus continued on to Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, the reason they were standing at a distance crying out is because leprosy was a contagious disease and a fatal disease. And if you had leprosy, you were literally cast out of everything that had value and significance to you. You not only were physically sick and going to lose your life and health, you lost your family, you lost your job. You lost your community. You lost everything that had significance and value to you. And you had to go live with a bunch of other lepers in a leper colony. And if you ventured outside of that and you got around other people, you were required to go around going unclean, 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 so that people would stay away from you. And that's why they were crying out from a distance. They couldn't even literally go up to Jesus and say, heal us. They had to stand at a distance and say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, the leprosy disappeared. So you see, Jesus not only healed them physically, he gave them a whole new life. Way more than we picture. But one, one of them, when he, heard, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, I'm healed. And he fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And that man was a Samaritan. One of those people who was despised, the one least likely to be considered the one who would go back and be honored by Jesus. But Jesus said to him, didn't I heal 10 men? 
Where are the other nine? There's only this foreigner returned to give glory to God. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. All right, number two in your outline. Gratitude is least in the good times. You see, it's easy for us to condemn those nine. But sadly, we're often a lot more like those nine than like the one who came back to give thanks. You see, as Americans, we are living in a period of time when is one of the longest periods of good times and prosperity that the world has ever experienced. One of the highest standards of living that we, the world has ever seen. Do you know that if you live in America, and not only if you live in America, but if you make $34,000 income a year, that you are in the top 1% worldwide. We are blessed beyond what we even know. And yet, as a nation and as a people, we give the least credit to God and the least gratitude to God in our nation's history. As a nation, we're literally turning our back on God when he's blessed us so incredibly. You know, I've heard this saying, and it's stuck with me over the years. Christianity has proven that it can handle persecution and flourish. But it has yet to prove it can survive prosperity. Isn't that scary? That should scare us to death. To think that our prosperity, you know, the story Jesus tells of the rich man going through the eye of a needle, you know, that story, the one that we laugh about and don't understand. It's just this principle is, is what he's talking about. It's hard for us when we're so blessed to keep our focus on God. So number three, gratitude matters to Jesus. You see, when one of the lepers returns and says, thank you, what does Jesus immediately do? He says, wait, one, two, three, four. Where, where are the other nine at? There was, weren't there ten of you? It was significant to Jesus that one person came back and the others didn't. Now, I am sure that the other nine felt gratitude, right? I'm sure they felt gratitude. But they didn't express gratitude. They had to feel thankful that they were healed. But they didn't take the extra step to go and express it to Jesus. In contrast to this, the other one, he comes shouting, praise God, I'm healed. And he fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. So with that in mind, is it gratitude if it's not expressed? I brought this up with some people this, this week, and some were like, yes, no, yes. Well, here's the bottom line. If it's us who doesn't get the gratitude for the things we do, does it feel like people are grateful to us? If you are the one who fixes the meals in your home, and you fix the meal day one, nobody says, 
good meal. Nobody says thank you. Nobody comments. You go on, you still fix day two. Day two, same story. Day three, how many days does it take before you decide, well, maybe I'm going to go on strike here. I'm not going to fix anymore. Now, I'll tell you, over the, over the years, my wife has had to occasionally remind me that I need to express gratitude to her for fixing the meals. And she does fix the meals, generally, in our home. And you know, this week, in the midst of preparing for all this, one day I was thinking about this, even as I was preparing for this, and that evening she fixed a wonderful meal, and we were cleaning up the dishes, and she looked at me and she said, did you enjoy your meal? And I was like, ugh. I, I was thinking about it earlier, and I, but you know, I, I was thinking about it, but I didn't express it. I didn't say it. You know, we should be expressing our gratitude toward others. We should be expressing our gratitude to God. We should be thanking God for all he has done in our life. You know, if we're not expressing it, then we need to really evaluate our heart and and look at what is in there and say, is there gratitude in there? When we think about what God has done for us, one of the things I love about Christianity as compared to other religions is this. And and I'll, I'll tell you, we as the church have screwed it up sometimes. But here's the bottom line. Christianity is about what God has done for us not about what we can do for God. What God did for us, coming to earth, giving himself, making a way to restore the relationship with him through his blood and his sacrifice, one sacrifice for all, no more sacrifices. The Hebrews were having to sacrifice continue. Every time they sinned, they had to go sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. God made a way. We don't have to worry about that. He did it all for us. There, out of that should be an incredible gratitude that grows from us that says, oh, I can relax, I can rest in the grace of God because he's done it all for me. All I have to do is receive it. So how often do we express our gratitude to God? How often do we express our gratitude for the things, the physical things he's given us, for our job, our home, our cars, our cash, the stores we shop in, the communities we drive in, the roads we communities we live in, the roads we drive on. Number four. Gratitude leads to spiritual blessings. You see, at the end of the story, Jesus looks at the one leper who came back and he says to him, Your faith has made you well. Now remember, ten lepers were healed, right? But yet, something stands out to Jesus about this one leper. What did this one leper do that was different from the other nine? He came back, he expressed gratitude. And he says, your faith has made you well. I believe he must be indicating that there is something about that wellness that is greater than just the physical healing that took place in, within him. Because we know that all 10 of them were healed physically. But yet Jesus says, your faith, the expression of gratitude that you stepped out in faith and did, that has made you well. 
I believe God did something in him that was different in creating a wellness within him that was not only physical, but emotional and spiritual as well. A depth of change in him that made him a new person, not just a new physical start. You know, I, I think that our culture even recognizes this. There is a, a study that has been done by University of California, Berkeley, that studied a thousand people, ranges eight to 80. And they studied people who practice gratitude. And they found this. Here's some of the benefits of being a grateful person. Physically, stronger immune systems, less aches and pains, lower blood pressure. They exercise more and in better health. They sleep longer and feel more refreshed. Psychologically, higher levels of positive emotions, more alert, alive and awake, more joy and pleasure, more optimism and happiness. Socially, more helpful, generous and compassionate, more forgiving, more outgoing. They feel less lonely and less isolated. You see, I think Jesus was able to see within this man and he saw that this man, because of his gratitude, he was going to have a full life, a content life that was a healed life that went beyond just his physical reality. So if we want that content life, how do we get there? Three steps we want to talk about this morning. Number one, attitude check. Let's do an attitude check. Now, We all know some complainers, right? Look to your right and your left. It's them, not you, right? So what do we do when we complain? How do we change it? Because complaining would be kind of the opposite of gratitude, right? So if we're going to be complainers and we recognize when we're complainers, how do we change that pattern in our life? We're going to do an attitude check. In your outline and Up on the screen, there's a little scripture I want us to read together. Philippians 2, verse 14, and it goes like this. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. All right, I didn't hear you very well, so let's do it again. Some of you aren't sure you want to read this. Um, All right, here we go. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. In what? And in what situations? In everything we do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Now, obviously there are times when we complain. But if we do, it's a sign, as we talked earlier, there's something in our heart that needs to be evaluated. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's some steps that we want to take. The first is to recognize that whenever I'm complaining, I'm evaluating my life and my situation and comparing it to something else that I don't like or, or I would like to have or I wish I had. I'm complaining about my situation. Why is it that we always compare ourselves to those who have more instead of to those who have less? I saw a sign over on Dorchester Road in front of the fire department the other week. It said, someone else is happy with less than you have. I made sure I quick jotted that down because that's a good truth, isn't it? That's something important for us to to remember that there are other people who would be ecstatic to have what we have 
and yet we complain about it. So when you start to complain, do this. Do an attitude check. Now, the word check can be used in a lot of different ways, but I'm sure Taber could tell us a little bit about a check And when it comes to hockey. Uh, there's some others among us that even play hockey. If you are familiar with the hockey term check, it means that you want to stop the forward momentum of the player so that you can separate them from the puck. So when you start to complain, I want you to do a check that stops the forward momentum of the complaining, separate you from that momentum, evaluate and decide what direction you want to go and redirect it and use gratitude in its place. Now, maybe some of you can identify with this a little bit better. Another check we use is what the check engine light. Anybody ever have that come on in your car? <laughs> it's all right now. I ain't paying a bit of attention to it. But, uh, so when it comes on, you need to pay attention to it. It's telling you something. Uh, something's wrong. And so when that light comes on, you've got to say, oh, what, what's going on in the heart of my car that this message is alerting me to? And so the same thing for you. When you start to complain, I want you to do a check and say, okay, what's wrong in my heart that I need to pay attention to that needs some correction? So what is it you're most likely to complain about? Politics? A lot of that going on right now, right? Uh, Maybe you're listening to a lot of talk radio. Might be time to turn it off a little bit and just get a different, a little peace and quiet, a little contentment settle into your spirit. But if if you're complaining about politics, stop and thank God for the freedom that we have in our nation. That we can even have the conversations we're having in our nation. What a blessing. Traffic, complain about that. Uh-huh. So stop. Thank God for your car. Thank God that you can even go as you please, when you please, where you please. Your job, complain about work. Stop. Check that complaint. Thank God that you have a job. Thank you for the provision that he gives you. Whatever it is, find the alternate thing and apply it. Check it, stop it, and apply gratitude in its place. Now, I want to encourage you to take a step. Just like Pastor Chris did a couple weeks ago with the cursing challenge, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is pull out your connection card. And if you're willing to take this, I want you to say, I'm going to take the attitude check challenge this week. Write it down, turn it in, but because you're turning it in, I want you to also write it on your outline and take it with you. Because see, there's just something about it that it solidifies it when, when we write it down. So say, for this week, I'm going to take the attitude check. I'm going to commit myself to try to arrest and check those thoughts and break that pattern of complaining in my life. So the last two points that we have, and I, uh, I apologize for this, but I turned in... Uh, an outline to Pastor Chris about a week and a half ago before he left town and since decided I was going to flip-flop my last two points. So just move to your last point, uh, number three on your outline, and it is uh, thank others. So a good way to start out by thanking others is thanking Pastor Chris and Janet for all they do, right? So why don't we do that? On the count of three, we're going to yell out 
thank you, Pastor Chris and Janet. Okay, you got that? Now, I'm not going to lead it because all they'll hear is me if I do that. So I want to hear y'all yell out on the count of three, thank you, Pastor Chris and Janet. One, two, three. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Thank you, Pastor Chris and Janet. We love you guys. Um, so Luke chapter 17, this story continues here. Jesus says, it, it says that he came back praising God, saying, I'm healed. He fell down face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. So it is important that we develop a heart of gratitude. Jesus recognizes this in our lives. And it's important that we not only thank God, but we thank others who have done things for us. Jesus literally impacted, redirected the shape of his life. Who has impacted your life? Who are the people in your life that have impacted you, that have helped to shape who you are and what God is doing in your life? I want to encourage you to think about it, and particularly, think about one person. Reach inside your bulletin, and you're going to find this in there. There's a little envelope in there. You'll notice it's stamped, so you just pop it in the mail, but all you got to do is put an address on it and fill out this little note, just expressing your words of thanks to somebody who has had an impact on your life. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's one of your siblings. Maybe it's your spouse. You can put it in the mail anyway and let it come to them, surprise in the mail. Maybe it's someone who has been a mentor to you and influenced your life. Whoever it is, I want to encourage you to share it with them. Then the third one is thank God. Pastor Chris talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago, that we need to express thanks to God. Psalm fifty nine sixteen. But as for me, I will sing about your power. I will shout with joy each morning because of your unfailing love. I want to encourage you to be intentional about seeking God with your life. If we're in a battle for our heart, you have to be intentional about this. Reading the Bible, prayer, spiritual conversation, and worship. You see, a heart of gratitude to God is worship. It's an expression of our appreciation for what he has done in our life. This man came expressing, verbally, shouting, praising God. He came falling down. There are many different forms of worship. There's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus tells a story where he is at a man named Simon's house. And while he's there, this woman comes in and this woman comes and, and anoints Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. And the, Simon is thinking, if Jesus only knew what kind of woman she is. See, she was a prostitute. If Jesus only knew, he wouldn't allow this to happen. But you know, Jesus knew that woman and he knew her heart. But you know what? Jesus also knew Simon's heart. And it says this, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows very little love. He goes on to tell how two different people were forgiven. One 500 pieces of silver and another 50. Which one is most grateful? The one who has been forgiven much. You know, I asked Hart and Tabor if I could, could use them as an illustration today, but I talked earlier about how Tabor was down at the front there cheering, doing the happy dance when, when, they, uh, when the Stingrays scored. 
But you know, one of the things I love about Heart and Tabor is when you see them down here worshiping, that's the same heart that you see expressed in worship. And what I know about them is they have shared their story and they'll share it freely with you. They know that God has forgiven them much. And out of that is an expression of worship that flows naturally. And when their hands go in the air and they start to move around and you're standing behind them saying, I wish that person would stand still because I can't see the screen. You don't know what wells up out of that heart. But you know what scares me? What scares me is that sometimes I, being on the other end of that, having grown up in the church and having always had God God a part of my life, that somehow I would not respond in the same way. That I would somehow fall into a thing where I think that maybe somehow it wasn't as hard for God to save me as it was them. That somehow I'd let my heart become hardened. But you know what? It's the same grace of God that saves me, that saves them. It's only by His grace There's nothing we can do. It's only by what he has done for us. I want to encourage you this morning. Whether you are one of those people who has been radically forgiven by God or whether you're just kind of falling into the routine of of worship and, and ritual, I want to encourage you to ask God to soften your heart today and create within you a heart of gratitude that flows out of you. If you were one of those who has never given your life to Christ, you've never started that journey with him, and you've been trying to figure out, what do I need to do to get right with God? This is the morning where you realize all you need to do is receive what he has already done. And I want to encourage you to do that. You've been listening to a message from Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.